How many of you have ever had a difficult relationship? May I see your hands? Okay, for those of you who didn't raise your hands, you just got busted. Because that's why the person next to you wanted you to be at church this morning, okay? Relationships are a big deal, are they not? They're how we live life. They're an important part of our life. And how to have a healthy relationship is what the Bible teaches. And we would all, would we not, have healthy relationships if it wasn't for the other person. My mother-in-law, bless her soul, she's with the Lord now, okay? But she would always tell me, George, everybody is queer but me and thee. But even thou art a little queer, okay? If it wasn't for the other person and their expectations, guess what? Our relationships would be great. Reminds me of the story of a dad who had this beautiful woman. I I like the name Rebecca, okay? Had a beautiful daughter named Rebecca. And one day she comes home and she says, Dad, I'm going to get married. And he says, I've never met the guy. He's coming tomorrow. And sure enough, the next day, I like the name Rebecca, or I like the name Rob. Rob's our worship leader. I like Rob, okay? He, this boy comes over, and he introduces himself, says, my name is Rob, and I want to marry your daughter. And the father says, well, I've got some questions. He says, fire away. I'm an open book. Well, my wife and I want to make sure that you are the best one for our daughter, Rebecca. So I have this question, what do you do for a living? Do you have a job? Do you have a career? And Rob looks him in the eyes and says, not really. But God will provide. So he goes to the second question. Well, do you have any assets? Do you have any money in the bank? Do you have any inheritance? And Rob looks him in the eyes and says, no, I don't have any money in the bank and I don't have any inheritance, but but God will provide. Well, Rebecca's father's sweating bullets by now. You can imagine, right? Okay, here's my final question. What are your aspirations in life? What are your dreams? What are your goals? And Rob looks him in the eyes and says, I don't have any, but guess what? Rob and Rebecca go off out into the yard. Rebecca's mom comes in and says, honey, how did it go? He says, there's good news and there's bad news. Well, what's the bad news? He has no job, no money, and no aspirations at all. Well, what's the good news? He thinks I'm God. Now, for some of us whose kids are grown, (laughs) that hit a little too close to home, didn't it, okay? But it illustrates the core of the difficult relationships of people who expect us to be God in their life. I call them boundary busters, people who expect us to take responsibility for them that they ought to be taking for themselves. Be God in my money. I've got money problems. You solve it. Be God in my personality. I've got some personality quirks. 
you solve them. Be God in my failures. I've got a lot of flops, failures, and fumbles in my life. You solve them all. Be God in my job. I lost my job because of my poor work ethic. You find me another job. Be God in my emotional issues. I am an emotionally difficult person to live with. You solve my emotional issues. And the problem with these types of relationships, they drive us crazy, don't they? God never expected you or intended for you to be God in their life and take responsibility for them. Now, I want us to all get into this game because the title is Get in the Game. I want us to be neurologically in gear. And so I want you to think of a person who is a boundary buster in your life. Don't look at them. That wouldn't be appropriate, okay? Who's asking you to be God. Who's asking you to take care of their money problems, their financial issues, their emotional struggles, their unhappiness who's demanding that you take care of them and take it off them. Now, here's the deal. When you and I seek to play God in someone else's life, because of the pressure that we feel, it never works. And Solomon gives some wisdom In Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, he says, above all else, guard your hearts for everything you do flows from it. He says, you know what? It's easy, is it not, to have your heart violated. And so Solomon comes along and he says, above all else, guard your heart. When he uses that phrase, above all else, he's saying, This is a big deal. Guard your hearts. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. What is your heart? Your heart is your inner person. The inner man, the inner woman. It is where your core values lie. It is where your thoughts, your emotions, your decisions lie. Your life is your heart. And Solomon says, above all else, this is a big deal. Guard your heart from boundary busters because they will suck the life out of you. If someone... that you have a relationship with is telling you to take care of their life and it's making you go crazy, it's probably because you are not guarding your heart in the right way. I've been involved in ministry 40 years. I want you to take some good notes. This may not apply to you now, but it may apply to someone that you know. Pass it on. Give it away. So let me give you some things that'll help. 
I want to help you today as we spend time together by giving you, first of all, a vision for what a good, healthy relationship looks like. In other words, I want to give you the good news first. And here it is. God's designed healthy relationships to have two elements in them. And for those elements to be balanced. It is what I call God's relational physics. The first element is grace. The first element is grace. And for me, I love the word grace because, folks, I need lots of grace. You need lots of grace. We need lots of grace between us. And Peter talks about this. In 1 Peter 4, verse 10, he says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. He is talking about relationships and he is talking about grace. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what is grace? It is simply this. It is the reality that God is for you. That God is on your side. That God is in your corner. That he is on your team. That no matter what you do, God is for you. Meaning that there is nothing performance-wise that, that will make God love you more or make God love you less. God loves you, period. That is the nature of grace. Now understand that this grace comes in two forms. It comes vertically and it comes horizontally. It comes vertically from God, from his word, from, from the Bible, from the Holy Spirit that indwells us. If you have said yes to Jesus Christ, God indwells you. And through his spirit, he gives you grace. This is the vertical part of God's grace. But there is another part. It is the horizontal part. This is where we take grace in from each other. And this is where grace is given out to each other. This is what Peter is talking about. In this relationship with God, we have this horizontal grace for each other. And he's saying here that we need to be good stewards of the delivery system. In other words, we've got to be like FedEx. We've got to be like UPS. Notice I didn't say the post office, okay? <laughs> he's saying here that we've got to be good stewards of the delivery system of the grace of God. Now let me make this concept a little bit more practical for us. When you let someone listen to your story and you tell them what is going on in your life and they are for you, they're not against you, they're in your corner, they are on your team, guess what you just experienced? The grace of God. And so I want you to write this down. Great relationships are built on great grace. Great relationships are built on great grace. And why is that? Because in those relationships, folks, we feel safe. 
We know that there's no condemnation. We know that there's no judgment. When we're in a relationship where there is judgment, guess what? We don't feel so open, do we? We shut down. We pull away. We play at the game of relationships. But we're really not in the game of relationships. But when we feel safe, we open up. This is what grace is about. Great relationships are built on great grace. The second part of great relationships is this, truth. And Paul talks about the truth that we need in relationships. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become every in every respect, the mature body of him who is head, that is Christ. Folks, truth helps us to grow up. Truth helps us to grow up in our relationships. Truth helps us to become more like Christ. What is truth? Will you write this down? Truth is what is. Isn't that profound? Truth is what is. Truth is what's real. There is the truth of physics. There is the truth of gravity. There is the truth of chemistry. There is the truth that's in the Bible. There is the truth that wise, a wise person tells someone. There is the feedback that we give to each other, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, with our business associates that we know that they may not know. So will you write this down? Great relationships are built on great truth. And so here is the vision of a great, healthy relationship. Grace provides the safety we need where we can be open and transparent. Grace provides the safety we need and truth provides the structure we need so we don't screw them up. Let me put this another way. Grace says, I'm for you. I am in your corner. I'm not condemning you. I'm not against you. I'm for you no matter what. And truth says, I need to give you some feedback so that you don't run into a ditch and wreck it. We need grace and we need truth. And great relationships are built on great grace and they are built on great truth. One of my partners in crime, Dennis Tolleson, I call him my William Wallace. We all have seen Braveheart. Dennis has a brave heart. And we have a deep relationship with one another. We've gone to places that none of us thought we would ever be at in our lifetime. As I like to say on those mission trips, we've gone to the precipice of hell. And we have pulled people back from it. 
to give them life in Jesus Christ. And honestly, I can't think of doing life on mission trips or any other thing without Dennis really being before me. He's a bigger guy. I like to hide behind him, right? And you might ask, why Why is that the case? Because we have a balance of grace and truth. It wasn't but this other week, uh, a, a week ago, that he came into my office and he says, George, I know you love me, but tell me what I need. There have been times I've gone into Dennis's office and I've said, Dennis, it's just not working. What's wrong with me? I, I, you know, I know you love me. Shoot with me straight, will you? Dennis and I know that we have this relational physics, God's relational physics at balance. And as a result, we each get better. He gets better. I get better. We get better. We have a better organization. We have a better church. And better churches and better organizations and better families and better marriages and better relationships come out of a balance between grace and truth. That's the good news. But folks, let's go to reality. Because not all relationships are balanced, are they? And that is why there is difficulty within them. As I survey the land over 40 years of ministry, I see that there are two relationships that are troubling because of boundary issues, or shall I say, control issues. The first one that is out of balance is because of someone who is out of control. The Bible talks a lot about people who are just out of control. One of those verses is in Romans 13, verse 13. Take a look at this. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. This relationship is where someone's behavior in that relationship is off the charts. It is off the scales. They are impulsive. They act out. They are destructive. They, they, they destroy people and they destroy relationships. Why? Because God's relational physics is out of balance. They are trampling on grace. They are taking advantage of grace. They think of grace as cheap. Well, I know that they'll forgive me. I, I, I can just do it. God will just forgive. That is a misunderstanding of grace. They think of it as cheap. And they aren't listening to truth. And so you've got an out-of-control person. Now, the best example of a relationship uh, or an out-of-control relationship is if you have a relationship with an addict. If you have a relationship with an addict, you know what I am talking about. Because an addict is, 
imprisoned by something. They may be imprisoned by work. We're going to get to that in January. They may be imprisoned by work. They may be imprisoned by money. They may be imprisoned by drug, sex, and rock and roll. I came out of the 70s, okay? They're imprisoned by something where that whole relationship revolves around it because they're trampling, and as a result, they are trampling on life. Now, this is what happens if you just love them. What happens is that you begin to take responsibility for their problems, their pain, their emotions, their addictions. What happens is that you begin to become a parent to them. And as a parent, you begin to try to fix them, enabling them, rescuing them. In the psychological world, this is called codependency. And as a result of this codependency, things are just out of balance in the relationship. And it is hell. It is horrible. Nothing is getting better. Nothing. They aren't getting better. You aren't getting better. And us aren't getting better. Let me give you an example. A girlfriend has a boyfriend who gets drunk all the time. She comes into the office. I got a problem. My boyfriend gets drunk all the time. How do you know? How do you know? Well, because every time he drinks, he gets drunk. And he doesn't think drinking is a problem. He thinks I'm his problem, that I nag him all the time. Well, what is it that you do? Well, I do a number of things. First of all, when he's drinking, I'm the designated driver. And I'm thinking, how's that look? I don't know, two, three, four, six hours seeing someone get sloshed. And then I leave recovery material around. And I'm thinking, oh, that material says that you're a drunk. Hmm. Thirdly, I text him during the day, are you drinking? Oh, one of those healing text messages. And he just lost his job. And so I am paying for the rent now so he can live a comfortable life. How's that working for you? Folks, she's miserable. She feels helpless. Nothing is changing. He isn't changing. She isn't changing. And they aren't changing. Why? Because God's relational physics is out of balance. The second type of relationship that I've seen over the years is with the controlling person. You have a relationship with someone who is a control freak and they are, are controlling you or at least they are attempting to control you. Now here's the deal with that. Nobody should ever control anybody else because God made you as a free will agent to make your own choices. In fact, the Bible says he died for that on the cross. Did you know that? Take a look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. It is for freedom. Circle that. 
that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Folks, one of the benefits of Jesus dying on the cross is that you have been set free, not just from your sin, but you have been set free to make your own choices. In a relationship, you are, ha- you are to have the choice of your voice into it. You should be able to say where, where you want the money to be spent. You should be able to say where you want to go on vacation. You should be able to say how you want to be respected. You should be able to say how you want to be loved. You should be able to say what things are important to you. Folks, you should be able to say those kinds of things because Jesus Christ died on the cross to give you freedom to speak your voice. But oftentimes that doesn't happen. Some people don't like you having that freedom. And so what happens in that relationship is that you go along to get along. You do it their way. And if you say something different, guess what? It makes them mad. And if you agree, everything's just hunky-dory. And when they get mad, it's a tough relationship because you feel like you're walking on eggshells. Folks, it's hard to be in a relationship with someone who is out of control. It's just as difficult to be in a relationship with someone who is a control freak. There are two kinds of control freaks out there. The first kind is this. You can write this down. They control by anger. If you don't do it my way, guess what? I'm mad. If you do it my way, I'm fine with it, okay? If you don't do it my way, I'm a machine gunner, and I'm going to yell at you. If you don't do it my way, I'll be a mute, and I'll give you the silent treatment. Or I'll be a martyr, and I'll throw myself a pity party, and I will stink up the whole environment. Or I will be a manipulator, and I will get even with you. Anger. The other way is guilt. Guilt that says, you know what, if you don't do it my way, I won't get angry, I'll just be hurt. And that is just as powerful and that is just as controlling as anger is. A family wants to go on vacation. They're not gonna go see mom this time. And so daughter calls up mom and says, mom, this time we're gonna go on vacation some other place and so we're not going to come and see you. And mom responds to the daughter and says, that's fine. I bore you in my womb. I gave you life. And you can't come and see me 16 hours away. She's not angry. She's just hurt. And she's using guilt 
as a motivation. You see, if I had to divide up the big house today, I would say that half of us, when it comes to this boundary issue with controlling people, half of us, we cave in to anger. The other half of us, hey, anger doesn't bother me at all. Okay, bring it on, baby. But guilt, oh man, that is tough to handle. Either way, these are difficult people to deflect. They are difficult relationships to manage. So what does God's word have to say about this? How many of us have done some research on this matter? God has a lot to say. The whole Bible is about relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. What does God have to say about this? Well, let me give you a couple of biblical answers in restoring God's balance, God's relational physics in that relationship through setting boundaries. First, to do that, what is a boundary? A boundary, simply put, is this. It is a property line. Like around your house. It defines what you're responsible for. In the house, you're responsible for the plumbing, the electricity, the lights, the heating and air conditioning. Uh, the property line, a little larger, you're responsible for the yard, the shrubs, the, the, the sprinkler system. If it goes bad, guess what? You're the one that's responsible to fix those things. If something goes wrong in your neighbor's house or in your neighbor's yard, guess what? You may help them out but they are responsible to fix their house. It's not your responsibility. Now remember Proverbs chapter four. This comes from Solomon, wisest man on earth. In Proverbs four, Solomon gave this admonition, above all else, this is a big deal, above all else, guard your heart. Your heart is your property line. You might write that down. Your heart is your property line and you are to protect everything in it. And when it comes to these difficult people, there are two things that I would suggest that you do in restoring the balance. The first one is this. Love others without rescuing them. There is a big difference between loving them and rescuing them. Love says, I'm in your corner. I'm on your team. I'm on your side. No matter what happens, I'm for you and I am not against you. But I'm not going to fix what you are responsible for. Now, Paul lays this principle out in Galatians chapter six. Take a look at verses two and five. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Each one should carry their own load. Let me explain what Paul is saying here. We are called, as Christians, to go the extra mile in relationships. No ifs, ands, buts about it. And he says in this passage that we are to do two things. First, will you circle the word burden? We are to carry the burden of people. 
And secondly, circle the phrase, own load. We are to carry our own load. In the Greek, the word burden means boulder. A boulder is something that no one person can shoulder themselves. Like what, Pastor George? Like a divorce. Like a death in the family. Like bankruptcy. Or like, I don't know, mental issues. I've taught on that. There are some things that are just bigger than one person. And Paul says, you got to carry the burden. Now the word load, will you circle that word? In the Greek, means this, lunch pail. You know those lunch pails that we give our kids? That have their daily rations in it. What might be those daily rations that's in that lunch pail? Well, I mentioned them previous. Your personhood. Who you are. Your values, your thoughts, your feelings, what you cherish, your life. And so what Paul is saying here, life goes well when we carry, help others with their burdens and take care of our own lunch pails. Life goes poorly when we try to take care of other people's lunch boxes. God never intended for you to fix someone else's person. You can't. You can't change them. You can't change their value system. You can't change the way they see themselves. You can't change bad attitudes. I mean, how many of us here have tried to take a miserable person and make them happy? How'd that work for you? It doesn't. And so we love without rescuing them. Here's the question that you have to ask yourself. Should they be doing this themselves? I guarantee you, if you will ask yourself that question, should they be doing this themselves, it will help you to restore balance in that relationship. Now, I would say this, the only exception to that is if your wife asks you, though you're already in bed, to get up and turn out the light in the kitchen. You don't tell her at that time, no, I'm not going to rescue you because it won't look pretty, okay? The second thing that you do And helping restore God's relational physics is this. Will you write this down? You confront in love. You learn how to tell the truth in love. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. And so you go and you have what I call a peace conference. You you go and have a tough talk, but you do it in love. Because if you don't do it in love, you're going to be on the wrong side of God. So how do you do that? You come to them and you say, you know what? I'm not beating you up. 
I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. I just want a better relationship. I want a better us. And I've got to tell you some things so that we can be better together. Will you write this down? Confronting in love is about stewardship. It isn't about me. It is about us. It is about you. It is about me. It is about us. Meaning that if I'm pouring my life down the drain by rescuing them, by enabling their dysfunctional behavior, by trying to fix their problems, guess what I'm wasting? I'm wasting their life. I'm wasting my life. Folks, I'm wasting us. And so confronting in love is about stewardship. So what skills do I need to do this? Well, let me give you three very quickly, okay? The first one is this. Will you write this down? Start from a position of love. In other words, I want us to win. Just like God wanted me to win when I was unlikable to him, so too, I want you to win. I want me to win. I want us to win. Look at John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Number two, say no when it's the best to say no. Matthew 5, 37. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Yes and no are complete sentences. Now, most of us haven't been trained to say no very well. It's not a word we like. But let me give you a verse. Will you write this down? Titus 2, verse 11. God gives grace. We've talked about grace. God gives grace to say no. Now, no can sound like a harsh word. Can it not? No. So let me suggest a way that you could say it maybe a little differently. And here it is. That doesn't work for me. In that tone. Those words that you used, that just doesn't work for me. Your behavior, that's just not working for me. The third one is give consequences if necessary. Sometimes saying no isn't enough. You have to do no. You've got to move into action. Take a look at Proverbs 19.19. 19. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them and you will have to do it again. There are a certain percentage of people who disregard words Words don't change them, but what does is pain. Proverbs 20, 30. Sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. And so you use consequences when necessary. Well, what kind of consequences? Well, you know what? If you continue in this behavior, I'm going to leave the room. If you continue to talk to me this way, I'm going to hang up the phone. If you continue to look at me the way you're looking at me, I'm not going to give you 
my time. It just doesn't work for me. So, you start with love. You say no when appropriate. And you give consequences if necessary. Now, I want to give us hope because I believe all of us are into relationships. All of us are into relationships. And at times in those relationships, things don't work because God's relational physics is out of balance. So will you write this down? Boundaries are not about destroying things. They are about restoring things. Boundaries are not about destroying things. They are about restoring things. And I have seen it time and time and time again. Let me give you a verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. How? Encourage one another. Will you write above that grace? And be of one mind. Will you write above that truth? Live in peace. We started this whole series out talking about wisdom gives us peace. We want peace in our relationships. And so he says, and the God of love and peace will be with you. God is with you in your relationships. God is for you. He is in your corner. He isn't condemning you. No matter what you do, God wants to help because God wants restoration. And you can see transformation in your life and in your relationships because boundaries are not about destroying things. They are about restoring things. As you and I guard our hearts and as we are good stewards of them. Can I encourage you next week, don't miss my message about abuse. Our culture is into it. Hashtag me too. I'm gonna address it from a biblical perspective. Let's pray. Lord, we really do thank you that you are the God of all grace. That you have shown us grace, God, when we were unlikable. And you did that through your son, Jesus Christ. And you said if we would just acknowledge who we are before you and accept the gift that you have offered to us through your son, that you would invade our life and that you would make us better. And that through your spirit, you would pour out grace not only on us, but on our world. That we might have better relationships. And God, we look to you to do those things. But it starts first with you being in right relationship with him. If you haven't said yes to Jesus Christ this morning, can I encourage you to do that? Because that's where it starts. I, I don't care where you're at in life. You may think it's good. It's not the best. God wants the best for you. That's why he sent his son, and that's why he, he urges you to choose him freely. And will you do that this morning? As you look at your relational world, maybe it's going to hell in a handbasket. 
Maybe it's not operating the way it should because you're just not in union and in communion with Christ. Will you do that? Will you, will you do that this morning? Just by saying this, God, right now, I admit I am out of sync with you. I've known some things about you, but I sure in the world have not been into a relationship with you. And so right now, God, come into my heart. Fill it up. Fill it up with grace and truth, God. Thank you for the forgiveness that I have through you. God, thank you for the grace that you poured out. Thank you that you know who I am and you still accept me. God, I give you my life. And by giving you my life, I give you my relationships, God. Do a deep work in me. Do a deep work in them. And if you prayed that prayer in whatever way you prayed it, and yet you meant it, would you just let me know? On your communication card, just write your name, maybe an email address, and just check the appropriate box on the back. I've given my life to Christ. I've renewed my life to Christ. Whatever it is, let me know. I'd love to help you on your journey. God, we thank you that you're a God who's for us and not against us, that you're a God who stands in the fire as we walk through it, God. And so we give this up to you, praising your name and your son's name. Amen.